Well, good morning again. I want to take just an opportunity to echo Pastor Joe was saying, just uh, celebrating Memorial Day is oftentimes a real difficult perspective of celebrating sacrifice and celebrating death. It's the same way that we celebrate the Lord's table every week, though. Celebrating the freedom that we received because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Can I get an amen on that? For a church, we ought to be all over that, right? Now, you translate that to the sacrifices that men and women have made over the years for this country and for our freedom. And so in that sense, we celebrate. We celebrate the freedom that we live in now because of many of your families, the sacrifices that they made. And so our hope is that you're honored well this weekend. The sacrifices that your family has made, um, we get to live in freedom because of that. So I want to say just a deep thank you to all of you who, uh, who serve in the military, who have served. I know um, that this weekend, oftentimes, oftentimes, as Joe was saying, brings up some memories of, uh, of people who've sacrificed. And so, uh, so thank you. Thank you, and, and uh, we honor you today, and we want to be able to celebrate the freedom that we have and do it really well. And so we're going to jump back into this series. This is the final week. I hope that you guys have enjoyed this series to change a life. It seems like uh, it was a long time ago that, that Easter was here, um, but this is when we launched this series with Easter. And this is nine weeks now where we have taken stories of how Jesus encountered individuals throughout Scripture and the, the life change that happened because of his encounter with them. And I want to point out something that I think you've picked up along the way. Um, anytime that Jesus encounters people, their life is changed. It's still true today. It's still true today. If you'll open yourself to allow Jesus to, to meet you in your deepest need, in your greatest hurt, in your, your largest challenge, Jesus will meet you there. It doesn't matter if you've served him for uh, just a handful of weeks or if you've served him for 40 years. Jesus still will change your life for the better if you'll let him. Can I get another amen on that? I'm just now getting ready to preach, so we're getting warmed up, right? I wonder if there were butterflies in his stomach. I wonder if, if his palms were, were sweaty because I'll bet he was so full of anticipation. And maybe that was why he found himself running. He couldn't help it. He was, he was so excited. It, it, it drove him. He was so optimistic. And when he asked his question, what does it take? What are the requirements to get in? He knew this much. Whatever the cost, it would be worth it. Nothing was too great. I mean, how could you put a price on this? And now, finally, he was going to get his answer. He had worked so hard. He had done so much. He had studied. He knew the laws by heart. He had followed them diligently. But now he was standing in front of the greatest teacher of all time, a man that was so amazing and articulate that he made the most intelligent people of the day seem like commoners, a man who the crowds say spoke with such authority and wisdom. Now he would finally get his answer. He found himself coming to his knees, overwhelmed with the question that he had and also this, this powerful, majestic man that he stood in front of. And so he asked, Jesus, 
What will it take? What will it take for me to have eternal life? Then he waited for the answer. He looked intently into the eyes of this captivating man, waiting. But nothing would have prepared him for the answer he received. Give away everything? I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. Who in their right mind would choose to walk away from all of that wealth? And why? What would it prove anyway? The story of the rich young ruler is one of the most well-known encounters that Jesus had in all of Scripture. No story begins with such promise and ends with such sadness. Many times the disciples had witnessed people running to Jesus, falling at his feet, but never had they seen anyone walk away. And they had to be asking, what just happened? We're going to look at this story found in Mark chapter 10. You'll see it in your sermon notes this morning. We'll also have it on the screen. And I want to walk through this just piece by piece today as we continue on in this series. Once again, it's Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He said, Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. He said, You know the commandments. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. As you look at this young man at the very beginning of the story, there's a few deductions, you could call them. A few deductions that you might make right away, and we're just going to look at those very briefly. Scripture says that this man ran to Jesus. He had apparently made up his mind that he must get this answer. He was very sincere. There's a few things, again. He was living in a time when the religious community was not fond of Jesus. So it wouldn't have been considered a great career move for him to approach Jesus in broad daylight, but that's exactly what happened, or to be his disciple, or to talk to him, or to associate with him. And it took a lot of courage for this young man to come to Jesus that day. He came with a sincere spiritual question. How do I get eternal life? He wasn't there to trip Jesus up. No ulterior motives. He realized something was missing in his life, and he was looking for answers. He was very sincere. He was also very humble. The man knelt before Jesus. He saw what many people failed to see. He saw the goodness and holiness of God, and he showed Jesus reverence and respect So make no mistake about it, he went to the right person asking the right question. 
Lastly, we also find out he was morally good. He was a very good man. There were no bad habits to stain him. There's no shady past to deal with here. He would be a very good citizen, a good neighbor if, you, if he was your neighbor. He's the type of man that a city council would want for their mayor. Many moms would love to see their daughter marry a man like this. Many churches would put this man in some kind of an office. He was rich. He was young. He was in authority. He was a ruler. He was sincere. He was humble. He was good. Seems like things have started off on the right foot, haven't they? Such potential of this esteemed man coming to Jesus in humility and asking the right person the right question. And it's amazing, Jesus' first response was he went right away to the commandments. And as amazing as it seems, when Jesus said that he must obey the commandments, this boy said, this man said, I have obeyed them since I was a boy. Now, I don't know how many of you guys could make that statement. I, I certainly couldn't. I've obeyed them all since, since I was a boy. Maybe it was a stretch for the man to make that statement, but he was saying, Lord, I've got that covered. I'm following the commandments. And it's in this moment that you begin to see the unconditional love that Jesus had for this man, but also his unwavering resolve to maintain the integrity of the kingdom. And knowing what he needed to say next, Scripture says Jesus looked at this young man and loved him. This is maybe my most favorite part of this entire passage. When you are able to look at somebody who's missing something, and you don't judge them, and you don't put their their lack at the top, you put your love at the top. Jesus looked at this man, and he knew that he was going to have to confront him. And his first act was that he loved him. He genuinely cared. Genuinely cared. Once again, we see here the fullness of grace and truth represented in Jesus. Knowing that he was going to need to radically confront the rich young ruler, Jesus loved this man. And after a very brief discussion about obeying the commandments, Jesus went straight to the point. And he told him in verse 21, there's one thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. Now, I could imagine if this was a studious young man that he probably got out his notebook and his pencil and he's ready to take notes. There's one thing. Okay, Jesus is about to lay it out for me. This is really important. I need to capture this. And Jesus said, go sell all your possessions. Everything that you have. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus looked in this young man's heart and he saw something between him and God. This man was completely unaware that he had an idol in his life. I want to pause here for just a second because I think this would be true in our own situation today. That oftentimes we're unaware that there's something in our life 
that has become more important than our relationship with God. But see, that's generally how it happens. It creeps up and we don't know it. If you live that way, if you knew that there was something that had become more important than God, you'd probably address it. The problem is that it sneaks up. And this man had no idea that he was struggling with idolatry until Jesus pointed it out. But you see, money isn't the problem. Money isn't the root of evil. Money, uh, the love of money is. It's the love of anything other than Jesus. The issue was that this man loved something more than he loved God. And here's the one thing that's on our screen this morning. God wants us to surrender anything in our life that takes a higher priority than him. Now that's an easy statement for every one of us to say and probably every one of us to nod our heads with but it's a very difficult statement for us to live out because it involves surrendering things to Jesus on a regular basis. And I want you to notice here, Jesus saw something in this man's life, a priority that was in the wrong order, and it was preventing him from entering the kingdom. The man asked his question, and he got his answer. If you wish to have eternal life, go sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, Jesus did what Jesus does. He put his finger on what the man loved most. And I will let you know, I will remind you, maybe I'll just point it out because I think every one of us feels with this, um, lives with this tension and with this discomfort, that oftentimes if we will just ask the Lord, and sometimes when we don't even ask him, he will point to things in our life that have become out of whack. <laughs> They're out of priority. They're out of alignment. And generally, when somebody does that, we get very uncomfortable because we don't like it being called out. I don't like it being called out. If you were to come to me and say, Patrick, we've known each other for a long time. I've spent a lot of time with you, and I've noticed something in your life that seems to be um, just out of alignment. It, it appears that this, that coffee is more important than God. <laughs> oh, we laugh at it. But there are things you could fill in that blank. And probably the people that know you best could say, I have some concerns that something in your life has become more important than God. And when that happens, we don't, we don't like it. We don't like the finger. We don't like the thumb. We don't like something being called out in our life. But it's what Jesus does. He points out, this man asked a very specific question, and Jesus gave him a very specific answer. And the answer was not money is the problem. The answer was there is something, there is one thing, Jesus said. There is one thing in your life that's become more important than God. And if you will get rid of that, if you will realign your life, if you will make sure that God becomes number one 
Come follow me. That's the key. That's the secret. That's the answer to eternal life. Jesus put his finger on what the man loved most. And he asked him to loosen the grip on the thing that he trusted and the thing that he treasured, his wealth. And without taking that step, he was unable to keep the commandment that said, you shall have no other gods before me. See, we think that when we read that commandment that it's something like worshiping some kind of an idol like they did in Old Testament days of a Baal or something like that. But there's a lot of idols in our life still today. Opportunities for us to worship something, opportunities for us to place something in a higher priority than God himself. Maybe it is wealth. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's power. We put those things in a higher position than the Lord. And so even like this rich young ruler, we could come with humility, with sincerity, with all kinds of goodness. But he discovered, just like everybody else, that he's not going to be able to earn eternal life. He's not going to be able to be good enough. He's not going to be able to work hard enough or be disciplined enough. And what's amazing is the disciples are watching this interaction take place. And they're looking at this esteemed young man who is a good man, a sincere man, a moral man, a, a humble man. And Jesus points out something in, in his life. And, and so the disciples say, well, who can enter the kingdom of heaven then? It would almost be the same as if, if Billy Graham were, were on the stage today and, and Jesus were to say, you got to get rid of something in your life. And for us to go, man, if Billy Graham doesn't qualify on his goodness, who can enter the kingdom? There's a lot. Again, Jesus wasn't denouncing money. He he was saying anything that becomes an obstacle, anything that comes between you and the Lord has got to be dealt with in order for you to enter the kingdom. And so, again, the disciples are shocked. They're like, man, Jesus, why would you ask him to sell everything and give everything to the poor? There were a lot of of spiritual men in the Bible who were wealthy. And uh, they used their wealth for God's glory. The same is still true today. Wealth can be a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. So Jesus later told his disciples, just a couple of verses later, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's difficult for people to let go of their treasure, to let go of their wealth. Now, this would be a much easier sermon and a much easier topic if we were simply talking about money. And you know how difficult it is to talk about money. Everybody gets personal. Everybody gets offended when we talk about money. But this is even more difficult because this isn't talking about money. It's talking about your treasure. What's most important to you? Now, that's extremely personal, isn't it? What's most important to you? Perhaps the hardest thing that you'll ever give God complete control over would be your finances and your possessions. But Jesus had answered this man with the one thing that he must do. And he had, he had passed all the requirements so far. 
And if he would just take one more step, eternal life would be his. If he was willing to surrender his all, the kingdom of heaven would be his. But here's what's so difficult about this passage. You can't read this passage without just a touch of sorrow in your heart. There's a loneliness, there's a heartache that you feel when you read in verse 22, at this the man's face fell and he walked away. Different translations say he had great wealth, he had much, he had a lot of things. It was difficult for him to let go. And it wasn't that Jesus pushed him away or disqualified him. Jesus didn't push this man away. Jesus didn't disqualify him. He didn't see something in his path or in his past that would make it impossible for him to be accepted as a disciple. This young man held his destiny in his own hands. He had the opportunity to choose. Having the power to say yes or to say no to Jesus, he turned his back and he walked away. And his story is pretty disappointing as you consider those things. We know of no single man in all of Scripture that Jesus encountered that had more possibilities and more potential than this man. No one who had a more hopeful beginning. And that's probably what makes it even more sad to see that in one moment he's running to Jesus and kneeling before him and then moments later he's walking away with sadness in his heart. That's what makes it so challenging. And in really, in a way, that was really his only mistake was that he actually turned and walked away. Everything else was great. He was sincere. He was humble. He was asking the right questions. He was working hard at obeying the commandments. But he fell short when it came to surrendering everything. And here's, what's, here's what I do love about this story, though. If we could take something great away, and there's a couple of things that we're going to take away, but something great that we could take away is recognizing that you could misunderstand, the, um, misunderstand God's grace. And you could still be saved if you're willing to surrender. You could misunderstand a lot of things about Scripture if you're willing to submit to Jesus. You can learn those things later. Jesus will work in you. He doesn't wait for you to, to become perfected or get cleaned up. Now, I probably should get an amen on that because otherwise we'd all get disqualified. He's not waiting on you to get your stuff together. He extends salvation first. And then he says, I'll walk with you through that. This man had all of those, what seemed like prerequisites for salvation, all worked out. He was good, he was sincere, he was humble, but he fell short in surrendering things to Jesus. It was the one thing that Jesus said he still lacked. If he had just followed Jesus, if he had made that one more step, if he would have just said, man, that's a lot, but Jesus, you're worth it. Eternal life is worth it, no matter the price. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians 5. He said, God was reconciling the world unto himself in Christ, 
And God made him who had no sin to be the sin for us so that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's the message of salvation. That Jesus had already put into practice the very thing that he was asking of this young man. Step away from it all. Jesus left the glory of heaven to come down to this earth, to our world, to go to a cross for this very young man that was talking to him in that moment. See, Jesus was already modeling what he was asking from this young man. Give up the things that you hold on to, the things that seem so important to you, but they become more important than your walk with the Lord. Jesus put his finger on the one thing, and he called it one thing. And usually, guys, it's one thing in our life. For most people, it's not ten or a dozen things. It's usually one thing. We'd, be, we'd give up everything except, you fill in the blank. My walk with the Lord is, is more important than everything except fill in the blank. Let me tell you what generally happens in Christian circles. People become more important than God does. Our relationships with one another become more important than God does. Our relationships with one another are really important. But our relationships with one another are not as important as our relationship with God. The things that God has entrusted to us, our skills, our talents, our, our time, our resources, our money, they're valuable things that God has entrusted to us, and he wants us to use those to build his kingdom, but those will never be as important as our relationship with God. There's usually one thing. It's exactly the scenario with this rich young ruler. Jesus said, there's one thing. There's one thing. Are you willing? Are you willing to let go of it? There's a story told of a little boy who had two nickels in his hands. One nickel as he was walking to church. One nickel was for the offering and one nickel was for an ice cream cone after church. As he's walking to church, he drops one of the nickels and it rolls down the gutter and drops through the drain. And he pauses and he looks down and he looks up and he says, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but that's your nickel down there. <laughs> it's, a funny, it's a funny story, but I want, I want you to think about this. When you're, when you're forced to choose, your priorities will surface. If you have two things in your hand and you're forced to let one of them go, your priorities will surface. And if you took the two most important things in your life right now, and this is what this story really represented, is this rich young ruler came to Jesus, and whether he realized it or not, he was clinging to his wealth in one hand, but he was really interested in the kingdom in the other hand, and Jesus said, you're going to have to put one of these down. And when you're forced to choose, your priorities surface. And if you could imagine right now the two most important things in your life, if the Lord is one of them and there's something else, and if Jesus were to say, you're going to have to choose, which one of these nickels are you going to put down? 
But it's never been a nickel issue. It's never been a money issue. It's always been a priority issue. What's most important to you? That's the summary of this whole story, this whole encounter that he had with the rich young ruler. Choose. Choose. I'm going to point out what I see as something that comes between you and the kingdom, and you're going to have a choice to make your kingdom or entrance into God's kingdom. What's it going to be? Our priorities always surface when we're forced to choose. So this young man had to make a choice. Jesus dealt with this later on. He said, no one can serve two masters. Man cannot serve God and money. Again, it's not just a money issue. You can't have two most important things in your life. It doesn't work that way. You can't serve both. And this man's desire for eternal life was outweighed by his desire to keep his wealth. What Jesus asked for was more than he was willing to give. Now, to be honest, every one of us has been asked to make a choice. Every one of us finds ourselves in that same position of, of needing to choose. I don't know that Jesus is ever going to ask you to sell all of your possessions and give away all of your wealth. But I do know that he is going to ask you to surrender everything to him. And when that question comes, how do you answer? Joshua 24 says, if serving the Lord is undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. But you can't serve two masters. What's it going to be? The story of the rich young ruler ended with this young man walking away. Now in that moment, you see the, the confusion maybe that the disciples would have of what just happened. You could probably feel the, the pain and the sorrow in Jesus' own heart. Because really, once again, this wasn't a money issue that Jesus was talking about. It was a treasure issue. It was a heart issue. Jesus didn't want the man's money. What did he tell him to do with the money? Give it away. What did he tell him to do with the stuff? Sell it. Give it away. He didn't want the man's money. He wanted his heart. He wanted his treasure. He wanted to be number one. See, this was a, this was a heart issue. Jesus' very words, he said, if you will do all this, then your treasure will be in heaven. Your heart, what you love most, is going to be the Lord. If you'll get rid of this, if you'll get rid of this one thing that comes between you and God, then your most important thing, your highest value, is going to be Him. See, this wasn't a money issue, this was a heart issue. Jesus asked him for his heart. Asked him for his treasure, and the man walked away. God wants our treasure to be in him. It's not a money issue. It's a treasure issue. Jesus turned to his disciples. 
And again, he said, do you see how difficult it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven? Right after this story, right after this encounter, do you see how tough it is for people who have great wealth to submit it to me? And once again, you may never be called on to literally sell all of your things and give away all of your money. But remember, God wants us to surrender anything in our life that takes a higher priority than him. And so Jesus said to the rich young ruler, our treasure would be in heaven if we'll do those kinds of things. And now you see when, he, when, Matt, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 21, probably a very familiar verse for all of you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, it was a heart issue all along. What's most important to you? The test of loyalty to Christ is different for different people. And if you were on the road that day talking with Jesus, he probably would have given you different counsel, a different test. There would have been a different one thing that he would have pointed out. This morning, if you were to condense the entire passage into this one statement, in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus said, Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot follow after me as my disciple. And it was a call for absolute surrender. It was a call to put everything else aside. It was a call to submit absolutely everything to the Lord. It was a call for him to be the number one priority in life. And the good news is this. When Jesus urges us to follow him, he also enables us to respond. He doesn't leave us in those difficult places all alone. Human effort alone is not going to produce Christian life. We know that. So when the disciples asked again, who then can be saved? Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, along with his invitation to follow him, Jesus offers the power for us to respond to his call. Usually, it's one thing. Usually, there's one thing in your life that Jesus is working on, saying this is creeped up in our priority list. This is now becoming a contender with your affection for me. This is now becoming too important. We can make idols out of our jobs, out of our hobbies, out of our relationships, out of our possessions, out of sex, out of popularity, you name it. It only takes one thing to come between us and the Lord. And this is what Jesus is calling on with this young man and you can bet that it's the one thing that Jesus will call on with you. When you're left with one nickel in your hand, is it yours or is it his? As we close up today and wrap up this series, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never given Jesus that top priority in your life, or let's be really transparent, you may have prayed a prayer it may have been last month, it may have been last year, it could have been 10 years ago. You prayed a prayer, but you never gave Jesus 
that number one spot in your life. It's what he's calling for, that top priority. I just want to give you an opportunity right now to make those things right with the Lord. If you guys would bow your head, close your eyes. If you're here today and you would like to just make sure that Jesus is the number one priority in your life, maybe for the very first time, I encourage you and I invite you to just pray this prayer with me. You can say, Jesus, I thank you for your great love for me. I thank you for making me the top priority in your life. You stepped away from heaven. You stepped away from all that glory to come here to live for me, to die for me, to die for my sins. And so, Jesus, I place you in the top priority of my life now. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and and lead me now. Become the center of my life from this day forward. Give me the strength to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.